Well, if you have your Bible with you, uh, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. If you don't, um, Mark has one and a few other people can get one to you as well. And I have to say, before we get into this message, Nancy, good work. <laughs> 51 years with Mark McRae. In a row. <laughs> Galatians chapter 4 um, I know I'm, we're working through the book of Genesis right now, and uh, we'll be back in there next week, but this message is uh, kind of directed on a Father's Day message in kind of an indirect way. Um, you'll see how. It's not, I'm not that um, good at trying to make things appear very fancy, so you'll see how it's connected very easily. Uh, Colossians chapter 4. Uh, I want to read the whole chunk here, verses 1 to 7. I know Mark read 4 to 7, but just... So there's some familiarity with it as we move forward. Chapter 4, verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. It's interesting, in this life, the amount of privileges the Lord has allowed me, and I would imagine you would be in agreement, you, uh, to enjoy and be a part of. Uh, Just sitting around uh, doing devotions last night with with Amber and my kids, um, just the, the privilege of being allowed that opportunity to be a, a husband, to be a dad. And, um, you know, there's difficulties to it and things that can really be hard at times. But, brothers, it's a privilege. Um, and then to think that I'm married to this woman who I respect immensely, who is a believer in the Lord, my four kids who um, just love them with all my heart. And I think, man, what a what a privilege for such a nasty guy that I would get that I would get to this opportunity. And there's all kinds of side privileges, little things that happen in our lives where we go, I'm no why would I get the opportunity to do that? I mean, that's that's just I don't deserve that. Why would God do that? I count it a great privilege each and every Sunday that I get to stand up here, open the word of God before the people of God, hopefully empowered by the Spirit of God. But there's a privilege that I want to speak on this morning from this passage that has just grabbed my mind pretty hard, and that is the fact that you and I have the privilege of calling God Father. In the prayer that the Lord taught His disciples, He began began by teaching them to address Almighty, Sovereign God as Father. 
which was uncommon. You don't, you don't, you don't see that in the Old Testament. That, that was something that probably fell on their ears a little differently as Jesus said, when you address him, address him as Father. And so this concept of our God as our Father is one of, if not the most greatest privilege that we have. Not only is he our God, not only is he the God, but he's our God, but then to actually refer to him as our Father is immense. Look at verses 1 to 3. This is the context in which this text sits in. There's a picture here, an illustration that uh, the Apostle Paul is giving in reference to redemptive history unfolding. And it's the concept of a child waiting to be an inheritor. And that in this time, the child was going to be kept by guardians. People would oversee him, take care of him, help him grow. But he did not have full rights yet. He did not have full rights to that inheritance yet because of him being a child. And so he's actually likened to a slave. If you look at verse 1, it says, I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave. Though he's the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the dates by until the date set by his father. This concept that he's speaking to here is in reference to redemptive history unfolding as the Lord had been moving progressively throughout redemption, throughout redemptive history, culminating in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth, which we're going to get to in just a bit. But he's given this as an illustration. It's like this. As a child is waiting for that inheritance, it's yours, it's everything, it's going to be coming to this great uh, fruition, but it's not there yet. So until then, you're going to be kept and God's going to be keeping you. We're told that the law is a guardian or a schoolmaster leading people in the re- to come to the recognition of their lostness and their need for righteousness from another. And so in this illustration, he says, this is what's been going on. But now that Christ has come, he's going to unfold this centerpiece of redemptive history. If you look at verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law. I'm going to take this a verse at a time, okay? So first, first off, look at the fact that the Father sent the Son. At the fullness of time, and it's interesting because theologians like to talk about, I wonder what he means by the fullness of time. Uh, was God just kind of waiting for everything to line up perfectly, and once it's aligned, then okay, boom, I'll send Jesus, and so now God is the great reactor instead of the great actor, and you could, you could argue, you could look at some of the things that were going on religiously, some of the things politically, even the road systems, many different things that were taking place at that time when Jesus came and you go, this is a perfect fit. God's a really good guesser. No, rather, I think that it is the fullness of time because God said it's the fullness of time. 
It was a divine, sovereign, appointed moment. That day, Jesus Christ was conceived and then born. And then throughout his earthly ministry, Almighty God, not skipping a beat, perfectly planned out, fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies referring to the Messiah, perfectly satisfied the law, led up to his death on the cross to satisfy the wrath of his father. Now, simultaneously, because our God is a God of great detail, we also see that politically and religiously and geographically, everything was lined up very, very on key for this to be the moment when Jesus Christ came to earth. Our God is a God of great detail, and our God is a God of incredible precision in what he does. All of human history is hinged on this time. Now, I make statements like that all the time from this pulpit. You probably make statements like that all the time. You read about statements like that, and all of a sudden we can become kind of callous to it. But beloved, hear afresh, and may the Spirit of God allow you to hear this afresh. All human history is hinged on the time of Christ coming to this earth. Every single human Every single birth, every single death, every single second is hinged on this moment. The fullness of time. Everything was building up to that moment when Christ came, and everything is going to be looking back and resounding from that time that Christ came. When I, when I stop you guys and just ponder all the variables that are in place in reference to this being the fullness of time when Christ came, um, this guy's brain just is overwhelmed. To think about everything that God put in line, in place, at the moment that Christ came, this is a sovereign God. I don't know how you can come away from the word and think that God's guessing at the future when you see all that he did in the coming of the Lord Jesus. And so all human history is hinged on this time. There's a covenant of redemption here. If you look down at, the, at um, chapter 4, verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law. It's very important that God sent his son. At the same time, it's very important that we recognize the son willingly wanted to go. Sometimes you get goofy stuff throughout history where people make it sound almost as if God's a wrathful, angry, bitter person. Jesus is loving and tender. Jesus came, satisfied the father, so now the father can't be angry. Couldn't be farther from the truth biblically. No, rather what we have is the the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the Holy Trinity, in absolute perfect unity of purpose to redeem a people. See, this is what's so interesting. Some of you are extremely um, um, orderly people. Some of you aren't. (laughs) Um, I am not a very orderly person. My wife is, and she keeps me in check. But some of you are a very orderly person. You like things lined up and in good order. Beloved, there is nobody that comes close in any way, shape, or form to the exact perfect order of the living God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in 
absolute precision in their plan to redeem a people. If you hear a gospel that has looseness to it, where there's some just variables that are just loose and left open, I would ask you to be very careful to go back to your word, go back to God's word, and ask some questions about the God of precision. When somebody says that, you know, God is doing the best he can, hold on, stop right there. Go back to the word. When you say, God took a risk, but he was doing his best in this option, stop. Anytime you hear somebody share a gospel where God doesn't know necessarily what's going to happen, but he's doing the best in what he can accomplish, that goes against the language of the word. It goes against the language of the word. The language of the word never says God risked, or that God attempted, or God did his best. Jesus said, all that the Father gives to me shall come to me, and I'll by no means cast them out. I'm here to do the will of him who sent me. He cried from the very cross, it's finished. You see a God on purpose. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, redemption locked in tight. And so as the Father sends the Son, this is not a mission where they're trying their best. This is a mission that will be fully and perfectly accomplished. And so this covenant of redemption between the heads of the Trinity Perfect Trinitarian unity of purpose. The Father planning, the Son accomplishing, and the Spirit applying. Now, beloved, if you're a believer this morning, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been born again, you're a Christian, you are a miraculous work of the Spirit of God, the Son of God, and God the Father. In perfect Trinitarian unity, you have been made alive. It's a truth that I cannot get past to think God worked in me. When when it's broad, such as his church, it's a little easier to handle. But when I think the king of the universe actually has Dan Mason in his thinking, Almighty, sovereign king of the universe has thought of me, is thinking of me. The reason that's so hard for me to grasp is because I know me. (laughs) And I'm not worthy. His great grace is phenomenal. And so Jesus came on mission. Notice he was born of woman. This speaks again to the incarnation, taking on human flesh. And just for your note's sake, Philippians chapter 2, roughly around verse 3 or 4 until verse 11, gives us this, this concept of the humiliation of Jesus Christ. As Jesus came in the form of a servant, he took on flesh, born of woman, became one of us. The creator became his creation in order to be murdered by his creation in order to save his creation. That message, beloved, is radical. Just, uh, I know we love it, we sing about it, we hear about it, we read about it, but that is radical to think of the Creator coming in the form of His creation to be murdered by His creation in order to save His creation is a message that to this world is absolutely ridiculous. And so Paul's response is, then we're fools for Christ's sake. 
and we herald the message with joy because it is the truth. He came born of woman. He also came born under the law. Calvin Patching's kid, I just, I just love, I love hearing that because I know Calvin's heart and knowing that his child is loving this message is filling my soul. <laughs> Do not take that kid out of here, Cal. Let him, let him stay and, and uh, say amen, which is exactly what they're saying. <clears throat> All 33 years of the life of Jesus was lived out in an absolute intentional manner. Jesus wasted no time. Nothing was wasted in those years of the Lord Jesus. He said, my meat and my drink is to do the will of him who sent me. I'm here on mission. My face is like flint turns towards Jerusalem. Nobody will stop me. I am here to accomplish what the Father has sent me to do. Born under the law. In Matthew 5, we're told us that Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but that the law might be fulfilled. Some folks every now and again will say, Jesus came and then God did away with the law. No, he did not do away with the law. He didn't just say, never mind about the law. No, rather the law was perfectly satisfied by the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not abolish it in the sense of God saying, never mind. Rather, the law was absolutely perfectly satisfied. God's holy standard was absolutely fulfilled by Jesus Christ. So when he died on the cross, a perfect law keeper was being crucified. Why would they crucify? He didn't do anything. Why is God's wrath poured on? He didn't do anything. If anything, he did everything right. That's because you have a priest who has no need to give an animal sacrifice for his own sins before he can come and sacrifice for your sins. Rather, he is an absolute perfect sacrifice with no sin who then takes your sin upon him. Jesus had your sin on him. Jesus had your sin on him. You find yourself sinning this week? Catch yourself angry or irritated or bitter or jealousy or you fill in the blank, whatever may have come into this week. Jesus Christ absorbed the wrath of God in a moment in history because of that sin that we we accomplished this week. Because he is an absolute perfect law keeper. He satisfied the holy standard of God. And here's kind of how you put that together, you guys, because you say, well, is God just or loving? Yes. God is absolutely, perfectly, holy, just. And there must be a penalty for sin. There is no remission for sins apart from the shedding of blood. At the same time, God pours his love on us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes on him will not perish but will have everlasting life. So almighty sovereign God sends the son that the son may take the penalty of our sins so that way we receive the righteousness of Jesus and Jesus takes the penalty for our sin, not only the physical death, but the wrath of God. I will never, ever, ever experience the wrath of God. Beloved, let that just press into your heart. I will never experience the wrath of God. Because as his son absorbed it, he absorbed the wrath 
for Dan. The son is the one who provides the way of adoption. If you look at verse 5, it says, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Redemption. This concept of buying back or paying to own, uh, where they would come and on the slave block, they would come and buy a slave, they'd buy him back, they'd redeem him and make him their own. We're told that God Almighty has redeemed us. Lost sinners, uh, backbiting, haters of God, uh, sinful, lost, dead in our sins and trespasses, and then God Almighty comes and redeems us. He bought you. The Lord bought you. The Lord bought you with the price of His Son's blood. God Almighty has made a purchase with with something of, of intrinsic value that we can't, we can't put any kind of value on that to think of all that he gave in order to redeem us. We were bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6.20 is, is, says that very thing. We were slaves of sin, condemned by the law of God. We stood before the Lord condemned. I want to stop here for just a second, and I want you just to think about this, Okay. And I mean this with all my heart. If you are not in Christ, meaning if you do not have faith in your heart this moment, if you do not have faith in the death, burial, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and see him as your Lord and Savior, you sit here this morning condemned. Not by me. Not by some court in our country or in some foreign land. You stand condemned by the one who knows you better than you know you. You have no hope in you digging yourself out of this hole. The only way to relieve you and remove that condemnation that is on you is through the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is what we call the great exchange. Let me give you just a couple of passages, all right? We'll do sword drill for just a sec. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. I'm going to start in the middle of verse 8. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, who? Found in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, not possible, not going to happen, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If there's one verse that really speaks clearly and directly to this concept of this great exchange, this is it. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
Yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you, beloved, by his poverty, might become rich. We were justified by the work of Jesus Christ. The perfect standard met by the death of the Lord Jesus. Now, back to Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. Verse 5 says, To redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. We are adopted by the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. This concept of adoption, not natural children. By nature, you are not children of God. And the arrangements that were needed for this adoption to take place are met by Christ, and you are made a son and an heir by an adopted parent. In a sense, I didn't necessarily pick the children that I have. We chose to have children, but I'm utterly grateful for the ones that I have. A very, very dear friend of mine for many years now, he and his wife were desirous to have a child for a long time and weren't able to. They were able to adopt a little boy. And it was kind of cool because of this message. He sent me a picture yesterday, and if I had any forethought, I would have brought the picture to show you, but I'm not that guy. Um, But he sent me this picture with him with a T-shirt that said, Best Dad Ever, and he had a shirt that said, Best Son Ever. And, And this little guy is just the charm of their life, and he is so, so grateful to be a father. He chose that kid wanted that kid, made the arrangements to grab that little boy and bring him into his life, bring him into his home and pour his affection on him. Beloved, when the scripture speaks of our adoption, it couldn't, it, there couldn't be a better image of the fact of what God has done. You didn't choose him as your adopted father. He chose you as his adopted son. Almighty God came and he made all the arrangements that were necessary to take you out of that place, that dark place of our lostness, and then declare you, you're mine. You think about a dad as he says, you're mine. I'm going to give you my last name. You're going to to be a part of this family. I want you to be a part of this family. I am now your father. God has done that to you. God has said, you're mine. You're my kid now. I love you. I've adopted you. Given you my name. You carry the name Christian. You're mine. It is a massive mistake when one refers to a brotherhood of man under a fatherhood of God. God is only our father by adoption through salvation in Jesus Christ. Beloved, this is the dividing line of humanity. Now, I realize right now in our culture and in other parts of the world, there's a million dividing lines between people. Things that should not be dividing lines among people. But the reality is the scripture comes with great clarity and says, actually, there's one dividing line. One massive marker that separates two different kinds of people. Those who are in Christ and those who are out of Christ. This is why, see, he likes that one. This is, why, <clears throat> this is why it pains me at times when I hear believers make demarcation kind of lines between them and other believers. 
If you're in Christ, you're in Christ. If you're out of Christ, you're out of Christ. And the world is doing its darndest right now to give us worldly divisions that the churches are adopting. I heard a brother in the Lord, and it's nobody anybody knows here, this is a long, far away, and made reference to his people, and he was referring to a particular ethnicity. I'm sorry, that's not true in the fullest sense. If you're in Christ, you're my brother. If you're in Christ, you're my sister. Regardless of secondary divisions, you are my family. Like it or lump it, (laughs) you are my family. When he adopts you, when God adopts you, he doesn't say, no, you can pick and choose whether these people are your brother and sister. No, no, you're in the family. Welcome home. You're loved. You're called to love. So, beloved, I... um, I realize I'm off topic just for a second, but just track with me. I just want to encourage you. Be very keen in your thinking and in your looking at this world right now to see that which is dividing you from other believers. If Christ is the true divider of humanity, or if secondary things are making those divisions, the Lord Jesus Christ is truly the one that divides all humanity. So the Father sent the Son to redeem in order that he may adopt. But please notice, it goes further, and this is how the Lord is. Uh, As you go and ask for something to drink, the Lord doesn't give you a little bit at the bottom of the cup. It just keeps spilling over. Look at verse 6. And because you are sons, I love that. He doesn't say if. No, no. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Turn to Romans chapter 8. We'll be right back to Galatians, but Galatians is like a mini Romans, and um, this speaks to the exact same thing. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Romans 8, verse 15. And the Apostle Paul says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now listen to this. This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That concept of bearing witness, He's giving testimony. He's convincing The Holy Spirit in you is bearing testimony that you are a child of God. Why would we need that? Because by nature, it's really hard for us to believe that. Really hard to believe that I'm really saved. Is it real? Did it take? Is it true? Am I really in Christ? We're told that God in His grace has given you the Holy Spirit, so the Spirit of God inside of you is bearing witness to your spirit. You are a child of God. This internal witness of the Holy Spirit is a pure, gracious gift from the Lord. This word Abba or Father can be translated Papa or Daddy. It's speaking to the, the level of intimacy that we have with the living God. See, this is what's so interesting, beloved. It's not a detached, dusty relationship. It's the sovereign of the universe who comes, rescues you, saves you, brings you to himself, 
and then goes to the very depths of your soul in relationship. I have never been more open with anybody on this planet than God. Now, obviously, he knows me and he knows everything about me, but I'm saying intentionally, with my mind attached, out of my mouth, I have poured things out to him that I've never said to another soul. The level of intimacy with him surpasses everybody. He's the closest person I have. The longer we walk in Christ and feed on his word and fellowship with the saints, we have this internal witness of the Spirit of God at work in us. And then listen to this. He goes another step forward. Not only are you sons and daughters, not only are you adopted, not only has he placed his spirit within you, not only has he given you his word, not only has he made you a part of his family, not only is your eternity set, but then he says, you're also co-inheritors with Jesus Christ, and all that is mine is yours. You picture a little kid that had it pretty rough growing up, foster care system or whatever, you fill in the blank, and as that dad goes and takes that little boy home and then brings him into this home. And he says, you see this? That, see that property over there? You see this room over here? See this car? See, see this kitchen? You see all this food? It's yours. It's all yours. You're part of this family, and all that is mine is all yours. Bask in it. Enjoy it. Rejoice in it. The reason I've adopted you is that you might rejoice in your inheritance. And beloved, I will say the greatest inheritance we have is God himself. God is not the one who simply purchased us to give us stuff. He purchased us to give us himself. That we might be his, he might be ours. If you go to heaven and Jesus isn't there, I don't want to be there. I want to be where he is. I want to go where Jesus is at. Where's Jesus? He's over there. Okay, I'll stay. I'll stay. As sons, we are also heirs. We're no longer slaves. Done. We're now children of Almighty God. What manner of love is this that we should be called the children of God? We inherit all the glories of God and eternal life. Now, I want to read a portion of Scripture Just listen to this. Ephesians 1. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1 and listen to what the Lord says about you. If you're in Christ, here you go. This is is you. Verse 3 of chapter 1 in Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every, every, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, please don't miss that, guys. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us and the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, 
according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Just think of the father taking the adopted son home. He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed." with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we require the possession of it. And how, how do you respond to all that? To the praise of His glory. Beloved, that is yours. You have been adopted. You have been brought into the family. And God has said, every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies it's all yours. I just the, the imagery in my mind is the living God showing every spiritual blessing and taking you from one room to another room to another room, saying, well, no, there's more. There's more? Yeah, come here. There's more. I want to show you. Then he opens up this room, and these are more blessings that are yours. And there's more. Come here. I want to show you this. There's more? Yes, there's more. So I end with this. A couple questions for you to chew on. Who is my heavenly Father? Who is my Father in heaven? He's perfectly righteous and completely holy. He's absolutely just in everything He does. He has love deeper than our minds are capable of grasping. He knows absolutely everything. He has power and sovereign authority over absolutely everything. He is absolutely perfect in wisdom. There is nothing he doesn't understand and perfectly know how to deal with. He is absolutely perfect in patience with us. Dads, he's perfect in patience. He's perfectly faithful to everything he has ever done said. Second question, well then what's his disposition towards me? What's God's disposition towards me? He has the deepest love, true love, not this false goofball stuff we hear in our world right now. No, true, authentic God love for you. He is perfectly patient with you, all your idiosyncrasies and all the silly hang-ups that we all have. God is totally patient. He knows. He knows who you are. He knows who we are. He's fully willing to discipline for your good. He's tender and kind without malice. He does not mock you or ridicule you when you're being silly or dumb or hung up on something that just makes no sense to anybody else. The Lord is not there mocking you. He always will be honest with you. He will always be honest with you. You read his word, the Lord will tell you that which is. And he will always be faithful to absolutely every promise he's ever made.
Beloved, we have the absolute best perfect father. That's a good dad. And so you've been adopted into the family of God, so let us come to the table rejoicing this morning. Father, as we take the bread and the cup this morning, Lord, I pray that as we think about how you have lavished your love upon us, Father, it would take us immediately to the price that has been paid on the cross. For Lord, apart from the death of your Son, none of the rich blessings I've been speaking of are ours. And so God, how do we respond? What do you say to somebody who gives you something like that? Father, you are fully worthy of the praise, adoration, and glory from your people. And I pray, Father, you'd search our hearts this morning. That that, that's what you would see in our hearts this morning, Father. And Lord, for anybody that might be here this morning that says, that's not my earthly dad, he's not like that, or I don't even know my dad, never met him. Father, every last one of us in this room have been adopted. If we're in Christ, we've been adopted by this perfect dad. So let us rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen. Raj and Dennis and John, would you mind helping us serve communion, please?